Good morning. We have survived into 2020. That is the weirdest thing. But I'm glad because, okay, when you get old, you get seen out. Um, who am I talking to? Whatever, whatever. You know, we had 2019. And someone go, what year is it? I take the 19, put it in the front. I go, 19. No, no, no. No, I was born in the ninth. That back. So 2020, that one's going to be easy for me to do. I've, I'm writing it. It's easy. So <laughs> we're in a new year. So I hope you take the opportunity. This is what I used to do as a college pastor to review the year and look and see what God has done and continues to do in your life. It's a great time to evaluate and use the question that Paul does in 2 Corinthians where he asks the church and the believers and the attendees, examine yourself to see whether or not you be in the faith. Examine your life and look back. Find areas that are still weak, sin issues that are still patterns, and go to God and ask the Holy Spirit to go down deep inside and get the junk out. Bring it up so you can deal with it. So make 2020 again another refreshing year that you can look, look back, praise God for all that He's done, and then continue to ask God to continue to do the work in your life. As we've been learning, we're following our Rabbi Jesus. So, but anyway... Let me get started. Let's get back into Mark chapter 1. We're going to do verses 16 through 20 again from a different angle. But I do want to do a quick review, but let me just read the text for us so we can get our mind together. Mark 1:16, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me. And I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Last week... We started a little bit of an intro on the book of Mark, because that's where I'm going to stay for a few weeks. We remember John Mark is the writer. John Mark is also the one we know in relation with Barnabas and Paul. We know that there was a rift that went on with Paul dealing with John Mark. Because right in the middle of the missionary journey, John Mark gets up goes back home, dumps the mission it sets Paul off. I understand. I agree. There's probably something, Paul, and we're not in the middle of the event. We weren't in the middle of the discussion, but I understand if somebody is not strong enough to deal in ministry and deal with the kind of ministry that Paul was involved with, it's better that they pull out and pull back. And Paul had not seen the necessary growth out of John, I would assume, for John to be pulled back into the second missionary jury. So that's when John Mark goes with Barnabas, which we understand is his family. And then Paul moves on, and two different missionary journeys take off. Also remember, too, 
Mark is not a chronologically ordered book. You don't, and you, you're reading along going, wait a minute, how did we get here? Mark bounces quite a bit. And I hope some of you have taken my challenge to read through the Gospels in the next few weeks, just to get going through it. It's amazing. Mark goes so quickly through the events that you start picking up a lot more information that's going on because you don't have all the detail. You notice you're going along and all of a sudden you're down in Jerusalem, you're down in the southern area, and the next thing you know you're in Galilee and you're like, okay, I don't remember teleporting was something that's available yet. So how did we get here? Well, there's a lot of information that's in between. We talked about the fact that Mark, when he's dealing with the 40 days of temptation in the wilderness, that Jesus, he just basically says Jesus was fasted and in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan, ministered by angels. Okay, now we're at the, we're right here. We're at the, what? Sea of Galilee. How did we, two sentences, two verses. So Mark moves quickly. I love it. We talked about, first of all, the call of Jesus the men he called, and the promise in his calling. First, Jesus calls the first brother pair, Simon and Peter, we know him as that, and Andrew. I like it. It says they're fishermen. Now, keep all these details in your mind because a fisherman, as we noted, was not exactly, you would say, the high end of the social structure. Further down, you move and you get the second brother pair. That's James and John, also fishermen. Luke describes the fact that Peter and Andrew and James and John and the Zebedee family kind of work together cooperatively as fishermen together. So Luke pulls that in. At the same time, you get the same call and you get the same reaction. Immediately move out, leaving dad and the hired hands in the boat. We realize, too, that statement alone says the Zebedee family was pretty well off in the area of fishing. Well off enough to hire staff. We have both brother pairs do something that's astonishing, something that would not be normal. They drop their nets and follow Jesus. Jesus called them to follow their rabbi. That's the reaction they understand. It was not customary for a rabbi to go around and go seek out students. Remember, we talked about the fact the educational system at that time, you started out when you were 6 to 12, you were in an, an educational process called the Beit Sefer. Well, by the time you got done and you were 12 years of age, one, you, you had memorized, this was painful to talk about, you'd memorized the first five books of the Old Testament. But if you weren't the best of the best or you were female, that's as far as you went. So at 12, you would go out and if you were female, you would then be preparing yourself for marriage. And if not, you were the guy and he would be going back to the family to learn the family business. So the family business for these two sets of brothers was fishing. Now, if you were the best of the best, and you would continue on, then your education would go from 12 to 15. That was Beit Midrash. Now, this was the amazing part that actually hurts me, because you realize at this time period, by the time you get done, by the time you're 15, 
you knew the whole and had memorized the Tanakh. Now that sounds great for you and I. If we don't know anything about the Tanakh, we'll go, that sounds great. That sounds small, right? No, sorry, what's the Tanakh? Tanakh is the whole Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi, memorized. Now, doesn't that kind of put into your thinking? This is just something that's always buzzed in my head. It, it, no, I know, it's my head. Think about this. How many verses of the Old Testament in the prison literature that Paul quoted as he wrote? A lot. And then, in 2 Timothy, he asked Timothy to bring with him what two things? The cloak, because it's starting to get cool, and the parchments are what? It's the word. But he's quoted it already. Again, we come back to the point, if you want to deal with temptation and issues in your life, what do you need? The word. David says, sorry, it's almost King James in my memorization back then. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. What's he saying? The word is my defense. So Jewish boys by 15 know and have memorized the whole Old Testament. And an indictment against myself and the rest of us, what have we done? I've got a few verses maybe. That's embarrassing. True, I understand the culture was different. It was an oral culture. But still, look at what we've got available. So anyway, the third level... 15, and you're still the best of the best, you move to the next level. That Talmud. Now you go out and start seeking to find a rabbi to follow. In that whole process, the rabbi will query you, work through the process to see whether you understand the scriptures, your memorization of the scripture, you understand the interpretation and, and work of the Talmud, you also understand maybe Hillel or Gamaliel's, their rabbinic writing and their interpretation, do you understand their teachings? If that goes well, then the question your rabbi will say to you is, come, follow me. Jesus is working with the Beit Sefer, the guys that went as far as 12. But notice what he also says. He says, I will make you become fishers of men. Much more on that. So the men he called, fishermen. 12-year-old education. But look at what Paul makes the comment in 1 Corinthians one twenty-six. He says, and this is concerning the calling that Christ is doing. He says, consider your calling, brother. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful and not many were noble birth. Do you see that in Peter, James, John, and Andrew? Yeah. Did these men turn the world upside down? Yes, they did. Go a little further in 1 Corinthians 1, 28 and 29. 
God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. The best of the best to God is those who He makes the best. All right, there's a promise of His calling, and I love this. This is this is encouraging. Jesus knew that these men, as they were, as fishermen today, would one day become what? Disciples to carry on the work and the ministry of their rabbi Jesus. This was shown to be true when Peter and John were hauled before the council. You remember that one? Not too far in Acts. And questioned how and by what means this cripple standing in their midst was healed. It's bad to ask that kind of question if you don't want the answer, right? Acts 4, verse 8. By what power or by what name did you do this? You ready for the answer, counsel? You asked. And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed... To a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all people of Israel, but by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is the part that gets me. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, twelve Common men, hmm, they were astonished. They were blown away. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Remember we stated last week that Jesus said that you will become like your, what? Teacher. And he asked them to come follow him. That's the same call on us. So let me read again Mark 1, 16 through 20, and we'll start tearing apart this a little bit differently. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James and John, son of Zebedee, and John his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. What we want to look at is we want to look at the response of the call to a disciple. We want to evaluate the cost of being a disciple. We want to take a look at the cost of not following Jesus. We want to realize that we grow as disciples of Jesus in a living community. 
And by the way, it takes time to grow. Can you believe we got that all out of that text? Yes, we do. Let's look at the response to the call to a disciple. Look at the reaction when Jesus says to them, come follow me. I love the phrase. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And immediately he called them and they left their father. Was this a debated, discussed, negotiated, went through a council, went through some... What did they do? What was their reaction point? Instantaneous. You know, when Jesus calls us to do things or just calls us, what's our response speed? Immediate? Or, can I give it some thought? Can I, can, you know, I want to evaluate the value here. And the, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, you know, I kind of think it was, it's kind of, I was talking to somebody yesterday about it. I think it's interesting, growing up in the 60s and 70s, it was a, a lot more simple than it is today. I remember we had a phrase that basically said, you know what, if that's what Jesus said, then that's what you do. That was it. But today, now if someone says, well, Jesus says this is what we must do. I don't know. Let me see how that's interpreted. Let me see really if that's what this, you know, and we debate the thing all the way to the point where we do what? Nothing. When you can think of another equal response, I love this one. And this one's got some value, cost to it. Mark 2.14, you'll remember this one. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. This guy's making bucks, big bucks. And he left his booth and followed Jesus. He left the business and followed Jesus. Why? What's he going to do? What are the four men going to do? Well, they're going to learn the rabbi's teaching. They're going to become like their rabbi. And then they're going to carry on the work of their rabbi. That's the same call for us. And these men dropped everything to follow Jesus. The life of the disciple of Jesus means we give up everything. Even to today. Now, it's different for everyone. I understand that. I mean, what I give up, what you'll have to give up. But you have to give up something. I've known people who have given up career to serve Jesus. To follow Jesus. Now the obvious thing is what are we right off the bat going to give up to follow Jesus? Sin. That's the first thing. But this brings me to another point. There is a cost involved. Let's take a look at Mark 8.34. Cost of being a disciple and calling the crowd to him with his disciples... He said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Remember, the cross is not that neat little jewelry piece that's hanging from your neck and all pretty and nice and shiny. That's not what the cross meant. Jesus literally said, come and die. That's all it meant. Oh, I've heard people go on. I've even heard some weird sermons about, you know, you gotta, you 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 give up it. Your cross you bear, and you're going. What are you talking about? Your job? No, 
That's your job. That's not your cross. Jesus said, come and die. It was very clear. That was an execution device. Let's go a little further to Mark 10, 29 and 31. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses, brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with underscore persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Persecutions. I feel sad that there's a lot of people that come into Christ, but they think this is just going to be a wonderful little party. And then when persecution hits, they're going, whoa, 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 whoa. This is no, how, what's, no, it's not what I was told. Someone lied, no. With persecutions. But I heard a message and there was the, the pastor was, brought up a point and I thought, you know, I've never reversed this. You know, the cost of becoming a follower of Jesus is high. It's the sacrifice of our whole life. Have you ever thought of the reverse of that? Is the cost not greater for not following Jesus? Go to Mark ten seventeen, And he was setting out on his journey. And a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, or rabbi, in this point, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This guy sounds fresh off the list. Sounds like he's the best candidate for Jesus. Doesn't he? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, and this is the guy's response after Jesus is saying, remember the commandments? Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. Are you kidding me? There's a guy that's got a real ego issue and thinking he's holier than he really isn't. Verse 21, And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. There's the compassion of God. And said to him, You lack one thing. Actually, he's got a whole list, but this is your foundational failure point. Go. So sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Now this is the most depressing verse, I think, in the Bible with this context. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. No, I don't want Jesus in eternal life because my life here is really good. I've got a lot, and I don't want to give up one bit of it. See, the cost of following Jesus is high, 
But the cost of not following Jesus is much greater. Mark 8.35, very clear. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? This is what this guy did. For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The cost of not following Jesus is much greater. But those who do follow Jesus... How do we grow? We grow as disciples, and this is the catch point, as a living community. We're not an island. We're not living on an island. We're not separate. We're not isolated from everybody else. That's how it, not how God created us. You know, I've at times asked people where they are in Christ and what areas their life are growing and what areas need growth, and I've had the most bizarre feeling when I get their response. They say, well, that's kind of a private thing. Really? It's a private thing? What makes you think it's private? What makes you think keeping it to yourself is the right thing to do? See, we grow as Christians in community. We don't grow as isolated individuals. It's not private. If it is private, it means you're carrying sin, you're keeping sin, and you're hiding it, and you're hiding it not only from others who can help you and come alongside and encourage you and guide you through the right life, but guess who else you're going to think you're hiding it from? You're hiding it from Jesus. That's a private thing. Yeah. It's the most strange thing. And they even sometimes I've had people say, it's none of your business. Uh, Christian? Christian? Together? Christ- but, yeah, it is. What is the Old Testament telling you then that iron sharpens iron, so does one man sharpen another? And you can sit there and say, no, 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 it's a private thing. That doesn't talk about private Great is the return of those in the field. When two go into the field, there is great return for their labor, right? You remember that? How about the ones that says, Great are those who go together, for if one falls in a pit, there is yet one to lift them out. But woe unto the man or curses the man who goes alone. For what? If he falls in the pit, there is nobody to get him out. That doesn't sound like it's private. A cord of many strands is not easily what? Broken. So when Satan wants to tear you apart, he needs you isolated. He needs you over here. So he can rip you to shreds. But together with fellow believers, there's strength and you're girded up. Jesus says, come, follow me. And my yoke is what? It's light and it's easy, but it's still a yoke. It's the connection. We yoke ourselves to Christ. We yoke ourselves together. Why? Because together we lift. 
I love the imagery that helps us to understand when we're greatly burdened, what does someone do? A fellow believer comes along, comes under, because now we're weighted down because of the weight. Another believer comes under and helps us lift the burden together. No, we're not an island. We grow together. I've even seen it too with families that isolate themselves away from the rest of the church because they want the pureness of their heresy, really what it is. What that ends up building is a cult. A family becomes an isolated cult because they're not growing with the body of believers. They're this isolated thing that says, no, 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 no. We've got it all down and no one else has got it right. I actually saw that in California. Saw a family start to isolate themselves more and more. Today he is a cult leader against Grace Church. And every, basically every other church that preaches the gospel. Because he's got the only true gospel. And we had them in our family. We saw them grow. We would fellowship with them. But he's a cult leader today. And it grieves our heart. It's horrific. And by the way, don't panic. <laughs> it takes time. If you don't believe this, just look at the disciples. Guys, get this right off the bat. Jesus, Messiah, Jesus, God. It's easy. We're okay. Nope. Look at how many times. Just read Mark. Look at how many times Jesus asked the disciples, why have you got such little trust? I mean, this is a couple of years down the road, and it's, why do you have such little trust? You've been with Jesus 24-7, eating everything for the last two years, and you're still up with, why do you have such little trust? There's one part where we're going to study next week, and he asked them the question, even after asking that question, he says, why are you so stubborn? Okay, this isn't looking good. Now, remember that one part? You thought things were going good with Peter? Peter's all right. He's moving. Yes. Jesus says, who do people say that I am? Oh, well, he's Elijah. Okay, yeah, yeah. All right. Who do you say that I am? Peter pops up. He says, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus goes, you're right, but flesh and blood has not revealed these things to you. My Father in heaven has. So we're like, okay, Peter's moving. We're getting a little closer. Yes, success day. And then a little bit further down, what do you get? Get thee behind me, Satan. Whoa, wait a halt, stop. <laughs> Who is this to? It's Peter. But, but, but uh, wasn't Peter just the guy that just, yeah. But Pete, yeah, he's crashed again. I like Peter because he goes, 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 and crash, goes, goes, crash, goes, crash. And Jesus picks him up. What's he do with the walking on the water? Does he do that one really well? All you got to do is one thing. Keep your eyes on Jesus, right? Easy. Yep. What's he do? Like the rest of us. Got distracted, winds in the wave, no, 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 this kind of stuff. And I'm walking, well, I'm walking on the water? What? What do you do? Take his eyes off Jesus. And what did Jesus say was going to happen? You're going to go for a dip. And he did. Something I was talking about this morning. Do you also notice one thing as you read through the book of Mark? What do you have missing out of and extracted or expurgated out of the book of Mark? A lot of Peter's boo-boos, that one is not in Mark. 
I love it. But then again, that makes sense because I don't think Peter preached an awful lot of his massive failures. Yeah, I did that walk, that walking on the water and dipping in the water. I was humiliated. I grew a lot. I learned a lot. But man, it's taken a long time. Do you realize how long it takes these guys? And then think about another point. Jesus, Jesus is coming up. This armed army is coming up to get and arrest Jesus. He's arrested, and what happens to the guys? Gone. Three years with Jesus, and you got slow learners, hard to learn, still growing. Yeah, so you've got a lot of comfort to understand it takes a long You and I are going to be learning from our Rabbi Jesus for the rest of our life. That's exciting. I look forward to that. Remember, we become disciples of Jesus at an instant, but become like Jesus in a lifetime pursuit. I love that. Again, when you review back 2019, God, I almost did it. 1990, who in the world's 19? I, my dad was seven years old at night. Never mind. 2019, you'll see that lifetime pursuit that you're still growing. Pursue Christ to grow in 2020 until the end of your life. In the weeks to come, we're going to see many times that the disciples just did not get it. And I'll explain some of those. They were confused as to who Jesus was. There's some understanding and logic behind that. Why they were just having some hard times putting the pieces together. And they saw the miracles and right after the miracles, they're kind of going, remember? Remember that one? Miracles and everything and the storm and the wave and everything. Jesus is tired. He's asleep in the boat and... They are indignant with him. Usually when you're under stress, you don't usually come off as the most polished, nice, polite individual. You just go, wake up! We're going to die! Okay, that's exactly how they did it. Jesus wakes up, and what's he do? Calms the wind, calms the waves, puts the sea. It goes to glass. takes weeks to do that, days, sometimes, hours, whatever, but it goes to glass. The wind stops like that. Okay, and their question is this. Now, they... They've seen miracles. This is not the first. What do they do? Who is this? That the wind and the waves obey? Okay, now if we go back in the Old Testament, like we've memorized and everything, and the study and everything, and you go through, go through Psalms, and you go through just the Old Testament, understand everything about God, and, and I remember back in my rabbi, my rabbi teaching me and everything going on, I understand very simply that, the, let's see, the only one that could actually command the wind and command the waves is God but to look on God I'd be annihilated but Jesus okay I I, I ought to work on this one you see that's where we're going to go through the guys are struggling they see what he's done But they, we'll talk about this more. Situations that they've gotten in and Jesus asked them a lot of questions and, and they're just, you know, it's the round peg square hole or the square peg round hole. I don't know, whatever. Doesn't fit. They struggle. 
So what's going to give us courage and strength to follow Jesus? Stay with Him because He will continually grow us. Sometimes you'll probably look at it and go, man, I don't feel like I'm growing anywhere. I don't think I'm doing anything. Don't worry. You're still growing. Mark 1.17, remember, it says, Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. That's a guaranteed promise. He is the author and finisher of our faith. Remember that we have promises from Jesus that he will grow us to be more like him every day. We still have the responsibility to be in his word, to grow with others, and with that, live out the word. Remember to live out the word, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 18, rejoice always. Again, the word I like, rejoice, return to your source of joy, that's God. Pray without ceasing. Don't put an amen when you wake up in the morning. Just keep going all through the day because you're going to need to have a long discussion with Jesus and God and work these things through. Something goes bad at, at work. Don't talk to yourself. Talk to Him. Give thanks in all circumstances, even the ugly stuff. Worked with a brother yesterday and we started pulling up things that are hard at work. And I said, all right, instead of the word circumstance, name the circumstance. That's how you put the word active. And he did, and he looked at me and went, uh, so I have to praise God, talk to him, and thank him for the ugly at work. Mm-hmm. Why? For this is the will of God in Christ for you, to grow you, to strengthen you, to build you up. All I can say is that we're in good company with the fellow disciples around us as we grow together in community. Let's pray. Jesus, it is so amazing to see your call of the the men that we studied this morning. But more of a miracle is the fact that you've called us. I just look at my own life and I don't see anything worth calling. I'm like the 12-year-old, I graduated, I went on, and that was it. I'm not the best of the best. I'm not the most noble. I'm really kind of a no-one-nowhere. But the amazing thing is you called. Our response is immediate at the same time, too. The promise that you have is that you will make us become. Become like what? Like you. That takes us being in the Word and communication with you and and constant prayer and unceasing prayer. But more importantly, together as a community, as a body of believers, to grow and to be built up and to be encouraged. When we're weak, your strength comes through fellow believers to lift us up. Teach us not to be isolated individuals, but yet part of the community of believers. God, thank you so much for your love, care, and patience for us but more so the the reality that you will continually grow us and build us up to be more like you. We love you and thank you. In Jesus, amen.